You're listening to the sermon podcast of Mountain View Church. Whether you're here catching up on last week's message or digging through a past series, we're so grateful you've tuned in today. Our prayer is the next 30 to 40 minutes helps you become a more whole follower of Jesus. If you're local and would like to join us, we'd love to see you this Sunday. For those who can't make it in person, services are also streamed on Facebook and YouTube. All the information about service times, what we have for kids, and much more can be found on our website, almsville.church. Now, let's open our hearts and minds to today's message. If we haven't met before, my name is Mike. Hi. Hey. Uh, I'm the lead pastor of this wonderful place, which means most weeks, not every week, but most weeks it's my privilege to, uh, to bring a word from the Word of God. I uh, hope you're ready for that. If it's your first time here with us, I'm glad that you're here. If you're watching online for the first time, hello. We're excited to have you joining us for worship today as well. Um, we started a new teaching series last week called Elements. Elements. Uh, it's a list of things the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. And we're kind of unpacking those week after week. Uh, We also launched a bunch of new life groups that are following along with the sermons and answering some of those questions. So if if that snuck up on some of you and you missed life group this week, your life group missed you. And some of us were like, wait, that, was, that already started? Um, so if you, if you need an address or a contact, or you're just like, I don't really know. I, I signed up for a group and I forgot. And I don't, uh, make sure you stop by Connection Point today. Talk to me or Betsy or whoever, and let's, let's make sure you get in there. And the questions are on the back table on your way out, or you can find them on our website with each message um, once that gets uploaded after today. So if you're looking for those questions, uh, that's where you can find them. But let's put the the main Bible verse back up there. This is the verse that lists all the fruits. This is the verse that we're kind of camping out in for the next, well, we've got eight weeks left, right? Galatians 5, 22 to 23 says, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Let's say these. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Okay, you can thank 830 for having to say those with me because I didn't say them. Like, hey, let's all, they just started saying it on their own. So I was like, well, now I'm going to have to make 10 o'clock do it. Okay, so sorry about that, right? Um, but this is the list, right? Isn't that an inspiring list? And like, I look at that, I, I read those things, and I think, man, if my life had more of those, like all of them, <laughs> and if our world, if, if all of us could operate 100% of the time out of that list, man, our world would be a better place wouldn't it? Especially last week's fruit. Last week, we zeroed in on love, love. And so if you missed that, uh, go on our our YouTube channel, go on our website. You can watch last week's message. Today, we're going to move on to the next one. And, you know, last week, I I just off the cuff, I kind of made this sound, right? That that the sound I think of when I think of love is, aww, right? I think the sound that goes with today's message is, yippee, Right? Or if you're Pastor Betsy, woot, woot, right? Woot, woot, yeah. Okay, I want to talk about joy this morning. And I apologize. Apparently, I said yellow was the color for joy last week. I was wrong. It was purple. So I'm sorry about that. But those of you who are mad at me, I'll buy a cup of coffee or something, okay? Um, so we're going to talk about joy. What book of the Bible do you think I want to turn to? Any, any, any suggestions? If there's one book that I associate with joy more than any other, 
Psalms, Ephesians. Let's open to the book of Job. Let's do Job. Yeah. That's not what you thought, right? Philippians, by the way, is the correct answer. Uh, Or Psalms. Yeah, I think Psalms for sure. Anything but Job. (laughs) Um, It's Job, by the way, not Job. Just throwing that out there. Uh, Like, anything but Job. But there's a passage in here that's been messing with me. And when, when God likes to mess with your pastor, the pastor likes to mess with you. So... We're going to go on a journey, okay? Book of Job, Old Testament, 18th book in the Bible. If you hit Psalms, you've gone too far. It's right before the Psalms. Um, And if you're using the Bible app, remember, you can click on uh, events and open to our church, and all of this stuff is already already there for you. Um, Which, real quickly, there's a new feature. I don't know if you've seen it in the Bible app. You can now set a church as your church. Uh, and it comes with lots of like features and stuff. One of the ones I'm most excited about though is it allows us to easily share a Bible reading plan with you that, that we're all maybe kind of doing together or wanting to focus on. So for example, last week there was one on there for love. Um, this week we've already uh, added one on there for the topic of joy. So you can read more scriptures during the week and kind of dive into it on a deeper level. Um, but there's other features as well. And so if you want to set Mountain View as your church in the Bible app, if you use the Bible app, you can search for our church or just scan that. Um, scan that QR code. There's also one in the bulletin and it'll bring you to our page. You hit set as my church and, and off you go. Um, one of the other cool features with this is it allows me some insights. It doesn't tell me your name or your social security number or birth date or anything like that, but it'll tell me, okay, all, let's say there's, you know, 50 people have added my, you know, Mountain View as their church. Um, the number one topic they have been searching for this week is X or the book of the Bible that they're really interested in is this one. And as your pastor, like, that is such valuable information for me to go, man, everyone in, everyone in my church seems to be searching about worry or, you know, whatever it is. I'm, I'm going to not preach what I was going to preach. I want to talk about that instead for a while, you know? So um, it's, it's just got some really cool features to it. I'd encourage you to, to check it out. They're probably going to add even more to it as, uh, as the days go on. But Job chapter 6, I really am doing this. We really are doing Job, okay? Job chapter 6, verse 1. It says, then Job replied, if only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the seas. No wonder my words have been impetuous. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with Job, um, but let me let you in on something. It's a tragedy. Not a very joyful story. Right, the first two chapters, this guy named Job loses everything. Um, his livestock are, are all stolen. Um, his servants are killed by raiders. His own children, his kids. Um, there's a windstorm, a house collapses and kills his kids. And then after all of that, he gets this nasty, painful rash from head to toe. Like, that's the first two chapters of the story. So when he says here, all my misery could be placed on the scales and outweigh the sand on the seashore, he's not exaggerating. Like, he's not just making that up or or trying to get sympathy or pity from the world. Like, that's his experience. 
I heard someone say this week that it, using kind of this construction metaphor that, that Job's life was stripped down to the studs. And those of you who know construction, you know what I'm talking about. It's like all that was left, right? Have you ever felt that way? Life just beating you up over and over and over. I got a text this week from someone in our church. They just, Pastor, can you pray for me? And then they just listed all of the stuff that's happened in their life just in the last like nine days. And it was overwhelming. And I know they're not alone. I know there's lots of stories in this church. Some I don't even know about where you're like, oh my goodness, like, can I stop getting punched in the face anytime soon? That'd be great. That's Job's life. And so then for the next couple of chapters, Job's friends try to, they console him, they grieve with him, but then they try to come up with a rational explanation, right, for why his life is so miserable. And that's what we do when bad things happen. We ask why and what happened and do I deserve this? I mean, it's just normal. It's natural to ask those questions. And Job's asking those and his friends are asking those. The problem is Job's friends, the best explanation they can give with the theology that they're working with is bad things happen because we do bad things. And so they essentially tell Job, uh, you need to ask for forgiveness. You've clearly sinned against God and you deserve what's happening to you. So just repent and, and learn from this terrible season in your life. Good friends, right? Thank you so much for that. Um, Job is, is what we call a theodicy. It is um, dealing with the problem of evil. Why do bad things happen? Right? It's a Jewish theodicy. And that's their explanation. Right? Now, now, God comes in at the end of the book and gives his two cents, and it's different than what Job's friends say. So you got to read the whole book to kind of see it. But then in chapter 6, after Job recounts all these miserable things, listen to what he says. This is really odd. Right? This is, so chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. He says, Oh, that I might have my request. And here, here's what he asks. That God would grant what I hope for, that God would be willing to crush me to let loose his hand and cut off my life. What's Job asking for? He wants to die, right? God, take me out. But then he says this, here's verse nine. Then I would still have this consolation, my joy in unrelenting pain that I had not denied the words of the Holy One. Are you serious, Job? Joy, he used joy. Joy in unreal. All the stuff you've gone through, all the bad things that happened, so bad you hope God would take your life, and yet he says, I've still experienced joy. Not because of the pain, but in it. In my unrelenting pain, joy. Does that mess with anybody else? Like, how does that work? And when you start looking at the Hebrew, it's a little bit crazier, right? This, the, um, the original language of the Old Testament is Hebrew. This is the only place in the entire Bible that this word for joy is used. There's other words for joy. This is the only place where this particular word for joy 
shows up. And scholars say it carries with it this sense of, of leaping, right? So our expression that we might use is jumping for joy, right? Just so excited you can't contain it. Either that or you've had six shots of coffee, you know, or whatever. Like, just, ah, so excited. Job says, I've got that in my unrelenting pain. Are you serious? Like, how does that work? But you see this throughout Scripture, not just in Job, but throughout all of Scripture. You see this, and you may want to jot this down or take a picture or whatever. Joy isn't a feeling, right? Joy isn't a feeling connected to circumstance. It's a choice grounded in faith. It's not a feeling connected to circumstances, what's happening in our lives. It's a choice we can make that's grounded in something bigger than our circumstances, that's grounded in our faith in God. And I bring this up because I think a lot of us struggle with what I'll just call the, the win-then trap, right? The win-then trap. For instance, when I make this amount of money, then I'll be secure. I'll be, I, won't, I won't worry, right? How many, how many of you thought that? Boy, if I could just make some more thousand dollars, I wouldn't have any worries in my life. And then you talk to people who make that amount of money and guess what? They're just as worried as you are. Maybe more so. Somewhere in the Bible it says more money, more problems. I think that's in here somewhere. I wasn't the Bible, was it? Never mind. (laughs) When then? When I get married or remarried, then I'll feel love. When I get the job, when I get the new title, the promotion, then I'll feel successful. Then I'll feel valued. And I know this one's sensitive, but when I have a baby, then I'll be fulfilled. I'll find my identity. I'll find my my purpose. One I've heard a lot, particularly the last two and a half years, when I move to another state, then I'll be happy. If I could just leave Oregon, if I could just move to Arizona, Texas, Montana, you got to say it like that too. (laughs) Then all my problems will disappear, you know? It's this idea that, that these really deep needs, needs that all of us have, by the way, there's nothing wrong with wanting to have purpose and fulfillment and love. Like God has wired you for those things. All of us feel those things. But it's the idea that those things will be, we'll find those things. Those things will be satisfied if only certain circumstances in our life will change or improve or be different. All right, that's the when-then trap. And the testimony of God's word, and I'm preaching to myself, is you and I don't have to wait until then. Like whatever then is, whatever you've put in that blank, God would say, no, right now, in every season, in every age and stage of your life, no matter what is or isn't happening, you can have joy and you can have love and peace and all these other fruits that we're gonna talk about. And the reason why 
Number one is because joy is a choice. It's a choice. Now, that's hard to hear, maybe, for some of us. So let me just peel back the layers a little bit from my own life. Because how, how many of you know that sometimes being a, a preacher is like one of the most dangerous jobs on earth? They don't put it up there. I mean, it, but it's like right below deadliest catch type stuff. Right? And the reason why, like, I just know, for example, um, if I'm going to do a marriage series or just a, a message about marriage, my wife and I just know we got a giant target on our back that week. Like, chances are super high we get in a really bad fight Saturday night. And then I get to come up here on Sunday morning, and we're like, let me tell you how to love your spouse, everybody. Right? And she's sitting there in the front row going, because it was probably my fault, not hers. Let's be real. You guys know her, right? Um, so that, that's kind of happened. So I, I should have known, right, that I've, because joy has been on the calendar for a few months. I, I, we've been thinking about this series and prepping for it. And I should have known kind of what that might, might bring. Um, so for the last several months, we've been struggling with a van that seems to take great joy in stealing mine. Anybody got a vehicle like that? Ah, uh, man. So, for, like, I, I don't have time this morning to list all of the things that we've tried to do to fix the problem and then the other problem and then the other problem. Let's just say I still have to pray every time I turn the key that it's going to start and then that it'll get me where I'm going, okay? It's just super frustrating, been expensive to fix and not fix, just ugh, annoying, right? Um, then in the middle of that, of trying to fix the van, our, our oven goes out in the house. And yeah, you know how it is, don't you? And I've watched YouTube, so I got this, right? The next text I send to my wife is, do we still have the fire extinguisher upstairs? Seriously grateful. It could have been worse, but started a mini fire. Like, it was pretty sketchy. And I thought, okay, that's it. We're going to buy, we're buying an oven. I guess that's a sign that I'm not to try to do this, right? So then I have to think, and how many of us know, like, things are just going down and down in price. I mean, it's super awesome right now. And so I um, have to shell out the, you know, the money for that. And then the next Monday, I'm out on the golf course. And you guys know, golf course is my happy place. This is where I go to de-stress, which I know for some of you is like the exact opposite. But for me, it's just like, I don't care about anything. I'm just whacking this ball and it's just fun. And not think about anything. And I'm listening to an audio book on joy. Uh, it's what I do. Like sometimes if I know a sermon's coming up or something, I'll be listening like while I'm just in between holes or whatever. And if something hits me, I'll jot a little note down in my, in my app on my phone. Uh, and so I'm, li- I'm literally listening to a book on joy. And I take a bad step and hear my ankle pop. And I look down and I'm like, that's not good. And I realized pretty quickly that I've, I've turned it, because I, I turn my ankles quite a bit throughout the years. And usually it's just something I just kind of can walk off and it's not a big deal. But I realized, okay, this one's not good. And I'm like, are you serious right now, right? <laughs> I'm on the 10th tee box. So I got equipment around. I got a hitchhike on some other guy's <laughs> buggy, right, on his golf cart. I'm like, hey, you know, he drives me over to my car. I load my clubs up. I like limp into the car or whatever. And I drive home and all I'm doing is just, I'm having a very honest conversation with the Lord. Um, 
telling him all my problems, telling him I'm frustrated, I'm mad, this, 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 and I'm going, bro, yeah, right? And like, first off, God can handle that. Some of you might be like, well, I can't believe God would, Mike would talk to God that way. Well, it's better him than someone who can't handle it, right? He, he created me with that. So I, he can handle your anger. He can handle your frustration, all that kind of stuff. So I just pour it out to him. And then I get home and I put my, my leg up in bed, got some ice on it, just start scrolling YouTube. I can't go anywhere, you know? So I'm just laying there, just mad, right? Just mad at the world. And a certain video pops up in my home feed. And I have no idea how. You guys know the way these things work. They work on algorithms, right? They show you certain videos and they're connected to other videos you've watched. And I have no idea how this video popped up and got put in front of me, but I, but I clicked on it. And I want us to just watch like 90 seconds of this together. God was ready to revisit our conversation in the car. Yeah, this is an orphanage group in, in Uganda. And, the, you know, they're using plastic bottles for microphones. Did you catch that? I mean, the fake guitars, all this stuff. They're singing their hearts out about the goodness of God. While I'm mad that I had to use savings money that I have to pay for some things I didn't want to. I'm frustrated my second car isn't working well. That I had to cut my golf game short where people pay way too much money to whack a little ball around. It's silly, right? It makes no sense. But I'm mad. I was on hole 10. I wasn't even playing very good, but still. Like, those are the things I'm mad about and frustrated about and allowing to steal my joy. And that video pops up on my YouTube. That's a huge slice of humble pie. And I had a choice. I had a choice. I could, I could keep looking down at my van and my oven 
and my ankle, which would make me grumpy and ungrateful. Or I could look up to my heavenly father. I could set my mind on the cross. I could think about the empty tomb. I could think about heaven, forgiveness, all of the gifts, the things that God has provided for me and refined my joy. But it was a choice. Right? We all have a choice. Um, Victor Frankl, who was a survivor of the Holocaust, okay, think about that. Holocaust survivor, Victor Frankl, says, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. Okay, no matter what's going on in your life or in my life, joy is a choice that can't be taken away from you. Okay, joy is a choice. Secondly, joy is a practice. Let's talk about how joy is a practice. This will be a little more fun. Some of you are like, I came to church for joy and we started with Job and now I feel bad about the African orphanage. Okay, joy is a practice, right? Um, last week we talked about Paul's encouragement to keep in step with the spirit, right? In Galatians 5, he says that's how you and I help cultivate these fruits. We have to uh, stay connected to God and cooperate with the spirit and the work that it wants to do in its life. And, and one of the ways we do that is through our everyday practices, like how we live, right? What we do. That's how we get better at anything, right? Uh, my son right now, he's, he's a pitcher for his baseball team. And so every single week, Cassie and I are on. I'm like, hey, bud, you got to get out in that backyard. You got to throw to the target. You got to get used to seeing that ball hit the target. You got to build up your arm strength, right? Like, like this is how you get better. One of the lines we, we always say to him, he's probably sick of it, is um, you practice how you play. How many of you heard that? Right? You pra- which means like the way that you go about your business in practice, how serious you take it, how you actually perform in practice, that will set you up for the game situations, right? And so we always tell them that how you practice is how you play. I think the same thing is true of the fruits of the Spirit. Like how are we, how are we practicing them? What practical everyday stuff are we doing that is cultivating joy, that's teaching us how to find and be joyful. And so if you're lacking joy in your life, I would ask you that question, right? Is what habits or practices can you use to develop it? What can you do? So as an example of this, I wanna go back again to the Old Testament. This is in the book of Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah takes place in this time where the Jews have been exiled for 70 years uh, because of their disobedience to God, foreign people came in, conquered their land, dragged them away. Seventy years, they're out of Israel. Then they get to come back, but everything's in ruins. They have to rebuild the city, rebuild the wall, rebuild the temple. And so that's what Nehemiah is all about. And in there, Ezra, the priest, finds the book of the law. Right? The book of the law was, was their, their Old Testament, essentially. It was, the, it was the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, and so Ezra starts to read from that all day, it says, from morning until afternoon. He just reads the law, and the people start to weep, right? They start to cry because they haven't heard the word of God in so long and because they realize that it was not keeping the law that caused them to be exiled in the first place. So some of those tears, I think, are tears of repentance and sorrow. But then listen to what happens, Right? 
People are crying. They're hearing the law. They're hearing the rules, so to speak. Right? They're hearing the rules. And then in Nehemiah chapter 8, listen to what happens. Then Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priest and teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Right? Stop crying. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy cho- choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great what? Joy. Because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Okay, are you, are you catching what's happening here? Nehemiah, Ezra, the priest, Levites, those are the rest of the priests, they tell everyone, hey, let's throw a holy party. Right? Let's party. Did you know that that's a thing? Holy parties? A lot of times we hear the word holy and we think quiet or solemn, serious. Got to get holy. We got people need to be more holy, serious. Do you know joy is holy? Joy can be holy. There are times to be reverent. There are times to be humble before God. There are times for repentance and and godly sorrow. There's also a time to throw a party. I think Christians should throw the best parties. No amen? Amen. The only reason why you're scared about that, you're like, well, what exactly are we saying here? Like, what's allowed at that party, right? Because we've allowed the world to steal Joy for itself and sell a fake good to everybody. Christians ought to throw the best parties. For some of us, this is really challenging um, because maybe the way we're raised or the way that we think about God and religion and, and the Bible and church is we think about all of the rules, right? We think about all the do nots and we don't think about any of the do's, right? Right here, Nehemiah tells people, hey, you know what you ought to do? You ought to quit crying and being sad about it. This is a holy day. Get some drinks and some food. Invite some friends over and let's celebrate. And, and, and some of us, we have this idea that God is like a, a cosmic killjoy. You know, God is like Debbie Downer, just wanting to make us depressed and give us all the rules and ruin all our fun. And that couldn't be further from the truth. It's just not true. In fact, a few examples I thought of. Did you know it's, it's God who gave us that sunset as it comes over the mountains? That's God. It's God who makes baby giggles sound the way that they do. Have you ever heard a baby laugh? If you don't smile, you're dead inside. I don't know what's wrong with you. Like it's... I literally, I said this first service and there was a baby sitting right over here that started laughing. It was so perfect. And all of us just went, yeah, like we couldn't help it. Like it didn't have to sound like God, God made laughter, made babies giggle 
sound the way that it do? I mean, think about it. We worship the God who created taste buds. Food doesn't have to taste good, but, that, but it does. We worship the God who gives us the ability to hear and make music. And you may want to plug your kids' ears for this one. This is why we have children's church, but we worship the God who created orgasms. Right? I'll let that sink in for a minute. I'm not trying to be crude. Please. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm sorry. But it didn't have to go that way. Right? Did you know that God could have, I mean, he's the creator of life. He could have said, be fruitful and multiply. And here's how you're going to do it. I want you to look at the other person and just like wink. Baby. Boom. There it is. But that's not how he did it. Are you with me? It's, it's only when we try, God is the author of joy, okay? When we, it's when we try to find joy outside of God, outside of his ordained means to finding joy, that's when we find despair. That's when we find trouble. But make no mistake, God is the author of joy. Which is why the rules that we sometimes want to kick against are there in the first place. Those are like, well, what about all the rules? And isn't all, yeah, it is, okay? But listen to this. This is G.K. Chesterton. And I love this quote. I want to put this everywhere I can see it, okay? G.K. Chesterton says, The more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. Are there rules? Yeah. But they're for our good. They're for our flourishing. They're for the fact that so we can have some boundaries that allow the good things like joy to run wild. But when we step outside of those, what we chase ends up becoming something that we get enslaved to. Right? God's rules don't exist to hinder joy, but to protect and maximize joy. That's what I'm trying to say. That's what Chesterton's trying to say. And I think it's our inability to throw a holy party. Let's just put it that way. It's our inability to enjoy God and the things of God that sometimes cause us and drive us to seek joy outside of God. And that's where the problems come. So what regular practices do you have in your life on a week-to-week basis that help you cultivate joy, holy joy, joy in the Lord? I'm gonna give you some examples at the very end, but just think about that. Maybe write a few things down. What, what do I do or not do that could stimulate joy? Right, joy is a choice. Number two, joy is a practice. And then lastly, sometimes joy is a sacrifice. Right, sometimes it's a sacrifice. And for some of us this morning, this is exactly what this whole morning feels like. Some of us knew that joy was the topic, and we were like, oh, I'll skip this week because we're just not feeling it, right? But sometimes, even when we don't feel it, we can choose it. And in that moment, it becomes a sacrifice. Uh, there was an old song that we used to do at youth camp when I was growing up. Uh, we did it on Sundays, too. You might know it. It's called Trading My Sorrows. Anybody know that one? That was bumping, wasn't it? No. Okay. So some lyrics to that song said, I'm trading my sorrow, I'm trading my shame, 
I'm trading my sickness. I'm trading my pain. I'm laying it down for the joy of the Lord. So idea like I'm going to bring all that stuff. I'm going to surrender it. I'm going to sacrifice it. I'm going to leave it there. And I'm going to exchange it for joy. And in hindsight with that song, I mean, I kind of laugh at my 14-year-old self, you know, singing about my heavy sorrows and shames and, you know, my deep, deep pain. It was very emo. It was very like, you really didn't know much about life. But it was real to me, you know, it was real to me. But some seasons make joy hard, right? We're, when we're sick or we're in pain or our spouse wants a divorce or our kids are wayward, our, our kids are making foolish decisions and, and walking away from God or the bill collector keeps calling. When your car breaks down, your oven breaks, you twist your ankle. Joy is not the thing that I go, oh yeah, look at that, bubbling up in me. <laughs> Joy. but I can still choose joy in that moment. All right, Psalm 27, verse six, David says, then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Look at the context of that, right? When David says this, war is literally happening. His enemies are closing in on him. And yet he says, nothing's gonna keep me from getting into the presence of God. That's the sacred tent, right? He's talking about the temple. And I'm gonna go there and I'm gonna create a sacrifice of joy. So that's what we're gonna do this morning, right? Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of, of our feelings, regardless of our pain, we're gonna choose and put into practice joy. Joy.